Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano, Andy Muller, and Tim Gates. This is the week of February 22nd, and we're only through one official day of camp in Cardinal Spring Training. I'm already jealous of everybody down there, although it was nice here. Pretty much all the snow around here melted today, but it doesn't beat Jupiter, Florida. <laughs> and we'll start with the Cardinals. Get right into a couple things we're watching this spring. Uh, first off, the biggest thing, got to be that last spot in the pitching staff. We know what the roster is going to look like. We know who those four, first four guys are. But that last spot's going to get a lot of attention. Is it Carlos, Ponce, Reyes, John Gant? Uh, we can go around a little bit if, if anybody has a guy they particularly like. Uh, first off, Frank, though, this is Carlos Martinez's final year in his contract. He had a, an abysmal year. There's no other way to put it last year said COVID really affected him when he got to spring. He told us that really, that really hurt him last year. Is he the default guy anymore, or is it really going to be a battle? What do we expect from him? Well, you know, to show you how much we all know, I think all of us were thinking that, hey, it's Alex Reyes' time. And then we hear Alex Reyes. Uh, Andy had the soundbite last week where, yeah, I, I kind of like closing. Um, and we, none of us really had much faith in Carlos but right now, if somebody said, you win a milkshake bet if you can choose the fifth starter, I'd pick Carlos. You know, he actually did do well in the Dominican, and we know he has great stuff. It's his last year. And if, you know, Alex Reyes is content to be, you know, that, that eighth or ninth inning guy, then I guess Carlos makes the most sense. I'll tell you what, though. I, I talk to people all the time that say that John Gant would be really good in that spot. And Ponce has been good. But if I had to guess, I'd go Carlos. I agree with that. I, th I think without saying as much, I think the Cardinals really uh, are very comfortable with the Swiss Army knife approach that John Gant brings to him, that he can fill a variety of roles. And I, I feel like they don't want to pigeonhole him and, and make him a rotation guy and create a problem somewhere else. Anna, what do you think? I agree with that as well. I was going to say, I just have a gut feeling it's going to be Carlos Martinez, just based on things that have been said, whether it be from Mike Schild or John Mosellock. I do think Daniel Ponce de Leon would be the second option. I, I you know, I, I think John Gant's just an interesting situation, like you mentioned. I think he'll be more of that split role, though. I don't think he's really ready to step up into those shoes. And I know you mentioned Alex Reyes. I think we'll see him in the bullpen. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But can you imagine how exciting that would be just to have him as an actual option to be that fifth starter? But I just don't see that being the case yet. We've been waiting a long time. And as I've said multiple times on here, I am the conductor of the Alex Reyes hype train. So I'm really hoping we get to see him in a starting role soon. And next year, they're going to have to do something. They there's going to be more than one spot open presumably with KK Kim's going to be a free agent who knows if Adam Wainwright's going to come back this is Carlos's last year but yeah I think uh it is setting up it's gonna it looks like it's gonna be Carlos's at least he's gonna start out in front with it I think if he pitches really well and you feel good about some of these guys and your depth he might be a piece you could try and move at the deadline to somebody who needs pitching because I think the chances are very very slim He's a Cardinal after this year. <laughs> Don't you oh, guys there's think? no chance. There's no chance. Yeah, he's he's done. Just think of the number of Cardinals. You got rid of Fowler. This will be Carpenter's last year. This will be Carlos's last year. This will be Andrew Miller's last year. That's a lot of money, you know, off off that payroll. And it's a good thing because you know, as I, I talked with Bill DeWitt the third today, 
And look, they're gonna they're gonna about have about thirty percent, you know, opening day, and who long who knows how long that's gonna last. So an organization that's used to having forty five thousand may have like fourteen or fifteen thousand. You know, the money stream, I'm, we're not going to have a bake sale for them, but the money stream is not going to be the same once again. <laughs> that's, that's a good line, Frank. <laughs> uh, we haven't gotten to hear from Jordan Hicks yet. And while Alex Reyes says he likes closing, Hicks presumably is going to be the closer once he gets back ready. He may not be thrown right back in there right away, though. Hannah, who in the bullpen you think should maybe get some high leverage innings if Jordan Hicks maybe isn't quite ready to be that guy yet? So I think, honestly, it kind of depends on who earns that final, you know, rotation, starting rotation spot, right? So we've talked about Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, Andrew Miller, some of those guys who have already had that strong presence in the bullpen. Um, I think Alex Reyes will be that guy. And, you know, even like a John Gant, if he's, I don't think he'll be that fifth starter. So I think this is someone where you have that split role. You know, if everyone remains healthy, and you have him in, in this role to where I think you can have a lot of leverage with him. I think you can place a heavier role with him in the bullpen. And I think that he's earned that chance to this point. So I think that's someone that really sticks out to me. I think Alex Reyes will deserve more of an opportunity given that he plays really remains healthy. I think he's someone that you can place a heavy workload on as well. So for years, we've been talking about if the Cardinals get Nolan Arenado, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to have to give up Nolan Gorman. It just seemed logical. That didn't have to happen. So now Gorman showed up early to camp this year, taking practice at second base and some other places, broadened his skill set because now it looks like he's going to be blocked at third base for a long time. Andy, where do you see him fitting in now that his future has kind of changed? You know, uh, I don't have a problem with him being at second base, uh, you know, because I, I'm just thinking of that, uh, you know, thinking of the offense coming out of that infield. And you could legitimately expect 100 home runs, uh, you know, from the, you know, if you put Gorman at second with the other three guys. I'm reminded going back to when uh, uh, Michael Jordan was coming into the NBA draft and the uh, general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, who had the second overall choice, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon was the definitive number one pick. The Blazers had the second pick. And the GM, Stu Inman, was a friend of Bob Knight's. And he said, Bob, what do I do? I mean, I need a center. Sam Bowie is out there, you know, Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, but he's injury prone. And, and then you got this Jordan guy. But, you know, he's only 6'6". Knight says, um, I, you got to take Jordan. And the GM says, well, but I need a center. And Knight says, play Jordan at center. He'll still be the best option that you have. <laughs> I see the same thing for yeah. Nolan Gorman. I, you know, put him at second base. I would take that bat over, uh, over any deficiencies that he would have, uh, you know, any defensive deficiencies. It's, you know, it's yeah, You got to remember, Go ahead, Skip, Skip, Skip Schumacher played second base. Jeff Kent played his entire career at second base. Nolan Gorman came in a little bit lighter and he gets a chance to work with Jose Okindo. Yeah, look, if his bat is as good as we think it's going to be, and, if, and let's just say Tommy Edmond still has a low on base percentage and Gorman could provide 25 home runs. Absolutely. I mean, Andy hit it on the head is that you're not playing third base for the next five or six years. You're not playing first base for the next four or five years. You better bring your second baseman's mitt and learn the position and maybe learn how to play the outfield if you want to play for the Cardinals. And it wouldn't be a well, difficult switch for him to go back to third base 
if the if the situation arose where they dealt him to another team or you know you get way down the line and he you know becomes a free agent and moves on to another team well it's all good fodder but i think it could all be a moot point once it rolls around and he finally gets here because the cardinals could very well have a dh position open and i think he would look pretty good there uh can you imagine that if all these guys pan out to be what they're supposed to be and you've got a Carlson, an Arenado, a Goldschmidt, and a Gorman anchoring that lineup. That sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> I'd take it. What do we got next? Oh, okay. So we'll have a lot more in-depth Cardinals talk coming up this spring training, of course. But right now, the last Cardinals thing is big question for Frank. What do you miss most about not being in Jupiter right now? And I think I know what it is, but I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no question. It's the Mai Trio salad where – it's right across the ballpark. It's a restaurant right across from the ballpark. And you get this fresh Mai, you get shrimps, shrimp, and you get scallops on this magnificent house dressing. It's a Jumbi Bay. I, let me tell you something. Tom Stasiak and I have probably spent 21 days down there at Tony Chambers and Tom Stasiak combination. And of my 21 lunches, I think 20 have been that salad. I miss it. I mean, if I had to choose between Monique and that salad, I would at least hesitate before choosing Monique. <laughs> oh, that's very sure she appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the Blues. They keep chugging along, uh, a bump in the road here and there along the way. As we record this, they still have the most points in the West, but they played more games because a lot of teams have had COVID issues. And, you know, Andy, I don't think it's really been said enough just how short-handed the Blues have been this year. They have missed a lot of guys for decent stretches of time. Uh, that is very true. And so you have to be optimistic about the fact that they are able to reasonably uh, you know, rack up points. Um, although, uh, you know, you hate to see them fall behind four to one to San Jose after, you know, beating them the other night. Um, you know, those second games continue to be, a, you know, a bit of a struggle for, for the Blues. But uh, it also it speaks as well to the depth that they have that, uh, you know, with as many guys as they have banged up they're able to continue to plug and play and, uh, and have a reasonable amount of success. And you got to know this year's breakout sensation, Jordan Cairo, a bit more this past week for your piece on sports plus on Sunday. He's usually a pretty quiet guy. You've got him to open up. What are some things you learned about the blues second highest point scorer? Well, I learned that he's very comfortable when he has his father Aki around, and that was the game changer there. Um, I, I just think it was it was a special experience to talk with someone about their backstory, and I think this is a player with a really bright future, and just talking to him, there's so many things that he can still improve on in his game that he's working. He's super critical of himself, of just knowing the things that he has to do to improve. Um, this is, you know, he's the second leading goal scorer on the team, only one point behind David Perron right now through these, these first 18 games. And I just think that's, that's huge for him. And I think that there's a really bright future ahead for him with this organization. He's a, a Frank, who's the fastest blues player you think you've ever seen? Well, I mean, that's, he is actually in the conversation. It seems crazy. It's been only a couple of months. Boy, um, gosh. Ooh, I mean, Janney was more efficient than athletic. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw Brad Boyce. Brad Boyce was pretty fast, even though he wasn't necessarily a young buck. But Yeah. 
Scott Young could move pretty. He was quick. I don't know if he was fast. There's a difference. Boy, Andy, who jumps out at you? I, you know, I'm racking my brains. I know there's there's somebody out there, but I I just can't put a finger on on who it was. Um, yeah. Boy, we're thinking of all these great <laughs> players. You know, Shanahan, Hall. Yeah, nobody, nobody. Emerson, Emerson, that, really. yeah. Right. That's a good. Um, we'll think on that one. We'll come back to that because yeah, Jordan Cairo definitely put his name in the conversation because he just. You see it every game. He makes some kind of play where his speed just breaks the game. Uh, let's move on here. The new hoops rankings are out. Illinois at four in the AP poll. Mizzou barely hanging on at 24 after a rough three-game losing streak they snapped on Saturday. So, uh, Hannah, which is the real Mizzou, and just how vulnerable are they without Jeremiah Tillman on the court? I, I don't even – does anyone even know the answer to that question? This Missouri team is so unpredictable. I don't even – I mean, it's just so inconsistent depending on who's in the lineup. But even when you have a Jeremiah Tillman, then not everyone's showing up to the court every night. And I just feel like this is a team where I've not gotten my hopes up still to this point this season. Corey, I know that you're the you're on that train as well and you have high hopes for them. But I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think that this team really does have high-level talent. I think that Jeremiah Tillman is a difference maker, but I don't think he should be that big of a difference maker for this team. And I almost feel like it's a mindset at this point. I don't, I don't feel like there's a lack of talent or a lack of effort. I think it's really a mindset of this team not knowing how to fully operate at full capacity sometimes. There's also, uh, over the past week, I've screamed multiple times on my TV when Xavier Pinson has done something stupid. Man, he's got so much talent, but he, he had a rough week, and they need him to play a whole lot better. Drew Smith can't be the guy that shows up every time and save, saves their bacon at the end of the game. So they need to finish strong, hopefully a good SEC tournament. We'll see what kind of seed they end up with. We're just hoping SLU gets any kind of seed at this point after they were blown out against Dayton. Uh, Coach Travis Ford and Conzo were on with Frank. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But Coach Ford said there really is no room for error. Frank, how thin is the line here when SLU should be concerned about making the tournament? Well, the good news is they're facing three teams that have had really good seasons. So they can really help themselves right now if they could roll off three straight against three of the powers in the conference. Um, I still think the one thing nobody talks about is, I mean, what's, what's to keep them from going to the conference tournament and winning it? I mean, if they get some, some, get some momentum uh, down the stretch here, this team with these seniors who've done it before, who always seem to peak at the end of the season, could win the conference tournament and get that automatic bid. But the right, you're right, the margin of error is not great right now. By the way, how about Pavel Dimitra in terms of being a really fast Blues player? That's good. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, speaking, of, speaking, yeah of good. Those, speaking of both those hoops programs, Frank had a great chat with Conzo and Travis together. You don't see it a whole, a whole lot of... Uh, a whole lot of the time when you get two of those big name coaches from in the same state together, it was really fun to watch back on sports plus. And you'll hear that coming up at the end of this episode, Frank, what were some of your favorite moments? You guys had a lot of laughs. Well, I knew as soon as I tried to schedule the game that they'd be <laughs> laughing like hyenas and that they actually wouldn't answer the question or they'd answer it like they did. Oh, we're going to try to get it done. Look, God bless them. I love them both. I've known them both since they were like, 19 years old, but don't tell me how tough it is to schedule. All you have to do 
is take off the schedule Central Arkansas State University Community Tech College. Take that one game off the schedule and then call each other and play the game. So um, that that's what jumped out at me. But I think the fact that they were such great players, and I think our younger audience doesn't know this, and I'm glad, you know, Andy had that great archive video. I mean, we looked at that one game, the Kentucky game against Wake Forest. That was like the most perfect first half I've ever seen a point guard play. Travis hit all five of the shots, four were threes. He had six assists, didn't have a turnover. He was so good. And then Conzo shot 46% for 46 from three for his career at Purdue. I mean, these were just beautiful players that I'm glad that, you know, that Andy found the video and our audience had a chance to see at their best. You know, I, I had forgotten what a great three-point shooter Conzo uh, was. And, you know, I, his comment, of course, you know, was that, you know, he was just, he was a lunch pail guy or whatever. Construction um, worker. Yeah, construction worker. There you go. Uh, and, and Glenn Robinson truly was, you know, no doubt he was the North Star of that team. But Conzo was a pretty good complimentary player uh, to a really successful uh, run there that Gene Cady had at Purdue. Yeah, there's nothing blue collar about scoring 1,600 points, which he did. 1,600 points. That's a hell of a career. I like that video, that one little highlight of him at Lincoln, too. That was cool seeing him with that hair. He's <laughs> <It's> almost unrecognizable. <laughs> you know, and, and speaking of which, you know, he won a state title with, uh, with LaFonso Ellis, and then he won two on his own. You know, where he was the he was the main guy. So, yeah, he had quite a high school career as well. All right, that is the horn. And here is this week's final buzzer question I'll put to everybody. We're recording this on Monday. The Blues are set to wear their reverse retro red sweaters again against the Sharks tonight on Monday. A lot of opinions out there about them. So we'll go around the Zoom. Annie, I'm going to start with you. What's your favorite and least favorite St. Louis sports uniform that you've seen over the years any team well there's i mean there is uh, you know the the secretariat if we want to go back that far of st louis sports uniforms was the spirits of st louis with oh, the nice. Lindbergh playing swooshing across the chest of all the players it was by far the greatest logo that that we in st louis have ever had with all apologies and due respect to the birds on the bats the, we haven't seen anything like the Spirits of St. Louis logo. So that to me is, is number one going away. As far as the least uh, favorite uniform, I would have to say it won them a Super Bowl, but the, the, the blue and gold Rams uniforms were not really my favorite. I really wanted them when they moved from LA to St. Louis. I really wanted them to go back to the, to the blue and white uh, uniforms that they that they had in the uh, in the late 60s. I just thought they were clean and they were sharp and really nice. And uh, unfortunately, they had to go back to LA to bring those back. <laughs> Anna, sorry, I had to unmute there for a second. Almost had a technical difficulty again. But um, I feel like I have an unpopular opinion on this every time I talk to someone. So I like the Blues clown jersey. I like the 1985 sweater. I like the mid-90s sweater. I like all of that. Um, I feel like that's the most unpopular opinion when I talk to people, but I like that. Um, 
In terms of Cardinals, I actually was, I was looking back because I feel like it had changed just in minuscule ways, like in the early 80s. And I like the 1981 jersey. I like the V-neck. I don't like the buttons. I felt like it was just like a cleaner look. They had a couple of stripes on there. And I just thought it looked kind of vintagey. And I was a fan of that. And in terms of the ones that I don't like, any powder blue or navy jersey worn by any team, I'm not a fan. I don't like the Blues powder blue. I don't like the Cardinals powder blue. Everyone loves those. For whatever reason, I think it makes the team look super soft. Wow. Can I, can I change my vote here real quick? Hannah, hit on, hit, Hannah struck on something. And Hannah, you can hate me for the rest of your life, but that... <laughs> But that mid-80s blues uniform that, that, that Harry Ornest's wife came up was god-awful. <laughs> Love it so much. I mean, much. Of, 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 all the, of all the things to do, you put you have the, this iconic blue note, and then over the top of it, you've got St. Louis. Oh, come on. I know. You have to have that there. I know. It was different, um, but I gotta, it's a vintage look, Andy. I'm a fan of that. Frank, what do you got? Uh, I actually like the uh, winter classic, the powder blue. It's just, it's classic. I love it. And then the worst ones would definitely be the Rams and that blue and yellow. I mean, the, the blue and white that Roman Gabriel wore in LA, just so beautiful. I didn't mind the blue and gold, but the blue and yellow, even though they won with it, I was never a big fan. I, Andy stole my Andy stole my spirits one. The orange, orange stands out and the logo was just, you couldn't beat it uh but i i love i think the blue note is one of the best logos in all of sports history i love the blue note logo so there's pretty much no blues jersey i don't like i'll tell you hannah i uh, i like a good powder blue but i like it when it's done right and these yeah. current cardinals powder blues are terrible and i can't stand them so uh, that's probably you. my least favorite the 80s cardinal uh the road powder blues I liked and are kind of classic, but these current ones they tried to update, not a fan. Yeah, I could agree with that. I feel like the one in the 80s, that one, it was like a bit deeper powder blue. Like it was just a different look to it. And they called it, they didn't call it powder blue back in the, back in the old days. They, they called it victory blue. So as I mentioned earlier, Frank's guests on Sports Plus this past weekend were Conzo Martin and Travis Ford head coaches for Mizzou and SLU basketball together. Frank and the coaches talked about their playing days, the current season, and struggles, and oh yeah, if they plan on playing each other again someday. Here's the conversation. Okay, guys, let's get this out of the way. You scored a combined 2,800 points. You made over 400 threes. Right now, would you be, at age 21, your team's best individual player? Travis first. Well, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. You spot me up in the corner or something, I might make a shot. But at 21, no, I, I, I don't know if I could hang with Jordan Goodwin. And I sure as the heck couldn't keep Yuri Collins in front of me. I know that. I couldn't keep anybody in front of me. How about it, Coach Martin? I'd fight for that defensive player of the year award. I'd fight for that. I'd give it to you. I, I, <laughs> I would put my money on you. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Coach Martin, do your players know how good a player you were? Or do you ever remind them? Do they have any idea? As far as talking about my game, no, not really, Magic. Because I, I was—I I feel like I was, I was a construction worker. Now, I, I talk about Glenn Robinson, LaFonso Ellis, and those guys. But for me, I was just a hard worker. How about it, Coach Ford? I just did it this morning at practice uh, in our pregame <laughs> uh, you know, film session. 
I talked to him like I was smart enough to realize that Jamal Mashburn needed the ball uh, and where he needed. I was smart enough to know that when I came down the court, my eyes were fixed on Tony Delt. Where is he? Uh, and there was a message behind that, believe me, where I was going. But a lot of it is uh, the old uh, do as I say, not as I do. Don't play defense like I did. I learned a lot about defense. I just couldn't do it. Now I'm trying to implement it as much as I can. I have 30-year-old sound bites from each of your coaches in college, Rick Pitino and Gene Cady, and they talk about how you were coaches on the floor and you were leaders. When did you know, Travis, that you were going to do this? Uh, early on, early on. I, you know, uh, basketball, you know, has, has been a part of my life through my dad taught me the game. My mom was even a high school coach for a couple of years. Uh, my dad coached, um, but I always wanted to be a coach. Uh, and, you know, I've been very fortunate to have learned from a lot of great coaches uh, throughout my playing career that I've taken a little bit from everybody. Conzo, when did you know? And then coach, coach just said to me, he said, so you're not going to be an NBA player. And he, and he didn't say that to, to belittle me, but he was saying it from the standpoint, you need to maximize what you need to do in the classroom to be successful because it did. And it wasn't as if I talked a lot about being an NBA player, but it, I was so consumed with the basketball because the means to an end for me was basketball, being able to provide for my family and, and make sure my mom had a better way. So that's how I was looking at it. It wasn't necessarily NBA, but that, I felt like that was the avenue. So I was consumed with spending time on my game. And it was just, it was just when he said that my junior year, I understood it and I wasn't upset about it. And then when he made the call, it just kind of came to fruition. I said, I need to make a change. Conjo, have you two had many head-to-head -head recruiting battles? And what's that like? I mean, I, I think in recruiting, I mean, obviously they, they've done a great job recruiting. We try to do the same. You, you recruit some of the same areas, of course. But I mean, but it's not necessarily down the wire between us two. It's, it's oftentimes the kids that good. It's probably 10 or 15 schools. And you'd like to be one of the finalists and, and ultimately get the guy. But of course, because of the area in proximity, of course. So Conzo, you guys have coached against each other twice. How do you remember that? Why'd you have to bring that up, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, Frank, he had, he had Travis, my, my first year, my second year, I think, at Missouri. Might have been my third year at Missouri State. We actually won the conference at Missouri State. We played them, and they were at Oklahoma State. I mean, a great team. Then my maybe my second year at Tennessee, they won the game. We were down, I think, Puerto Rico. It was, some, it was, it was one of those preseason tournaments, and they, and, and they had, obviously, Marcus Small, who's playing tremendous basketball as we speak. I mean, so, and, and then LeBron Nash, they, they had some, impressive you know I would be remiss in this interview if I didn't bring up the fact that many people would like to see you play again <laughs> come on coach what do you think here I was well, wondering when you were going to oh, get to that Frank <laughs> I, I knew it was coming at some point oh, you, you you know Frank Frank will pull it I mean, Frank, <laughs> we, we've actually talked about it quite a bit so I mean that that's 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 for sure and I think really just a matter and obviously Travis to speak for himself I just think it's a matter of when because Oftentimes, really, I know fans want it, but when you have when you book certain games out in advance, and now we obviously Illinois, we got Kansas now, we have conference, uh, you know, November tournaments, that that sort of thing. So just trying to find the dates to make it work for both parties. I, I think it'll happen in the future. We talk about it. We I think we we eventually want to get it done. It's just not as easy as people think. Sometimes, you know, nowadays you got all these different challenges and MTEs, as he mentioned. Uh, but we do talk about it. We know the fans want to do it, and it, it, it'll hopefully get done at some point. But, you know, again, it's just not quite that easy. All right, let's talk about your teams right now. Coach, you've had a real good season at SLU. Rough night at the office on Friday. How do you see things moving forward? 
a rough night. That's put, that's putting it lightly. That's night. Uh, very nice. Uh, we just need to find our identity. That's a strange thing to say February, late February right now. Uh, but that's what we're in. That's how we feel. Uh, and uh, luckily I've got some good leaders on our team that we're going to rely on. We just, you know, we think we're still in a, in a good spot to try to continue to get an at-large bid. We just got to take care of our business. There's very, very small room for error at this point. Conzo, you had to like what you saw on Saturday in Columbia, South Carolina, getting back Jeremiah Tillman and just great balance throughout your lineup yesterday. Yes, man, they, they, they played well. They played together. And when we're sharing the ball, not, not to say we have guys that play selfish, play a selfish brand, but we're sharing the ball and we're defending. I think we're, we're a high-level team because, because we're at best as a whole. Coach, what for you has been the most difficult thing about COVID-19 in this season at Mizzou? The most difficult thing is the unknown. I mean, think about it. You, you, you're taking a, a COVID test. And okay, this guy can't practice. We, we've missed two games already. And uh, just even in our league, just the, the ups and downs of the league. And then I, and I think the other part, man, you know, as a competitive player in, in Travis is that we all know that's, I, I, I don't like going to, into games and other guys' best players are out of you missing games because of COVID. You know what I mean? Because everybody want to win. And i give you a prime example of Frank Martin, the guy who I, I respect and I admire as a coach. He's dealt with it throughout the season with the COVID. Man, how do you go to battle and get your guys up for practicing games? That, that's a hard thing to do. I just think with COVID, just so many unknowns. And, and I'm grateful to our guys. Just, just try to be accountable and do the things off the court to stay out of harm's way. Going through what we went through is uh, it, it, there were, there's no words to explain how difficult it was and what a challenge it is. And it's still going on. We're still seeing the effects of it through our players. We don't want to use it as an excuse at all. But, you know, our, our, our guys are just not the same physically right now and mentally right now. It's different. We haven't had a team meal together since last March at the A-10 tournament. We have not been in our locker room yet since the A-10 tournament. It's a different day. This is a different experience. There's a lot of things that are difficult, but there's a lot of people across this world that are going through a lot more difficult things. We try to keep that in perspective. That will do it for this week's episode of the Sports Buzz Podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, as well as rate and review. Have a good week, everybody.